0: Uh, Danny's a guy that's on our leadership team. Um, He's got a great story of what Christ has done in his life since he's come to Tech and and been a part here and whatnot, so we wanted to get him to share that. And Periodically, we want to be able to do that, to have students who've been in your shoes, uh, who who know where you're at, whether you um, have a story like Danny's, whether you're at the beginning of that story, whether you're in the middle of that, or towards the end. uh, We just would love to be able to share our stories so that y'all can relate to them as well. Y'all, thank y'all for being here tonight. I know it's Halloween, so it's going to be a bit spotty. I know there's other things going on. I know the weather's supposed to get like like really crazy pretty soon, but thank y'all so much for being here tonight as we continue our series called Gospel Worthy. Um, if, if you have your word with you or if you have the Bible with you, open up to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have that with you, then don't worry. We're going to have it on the screen, um, but we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 tonight, So, so kind of just to catch back up once again, not to go over everything, but but Paul has really been hammering home this idea that, that, that we have to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. We need to live in such a way that, that our lives are exemplary of the gospel, of dying to self, of living for Christ, of following him. Um, and, and he's really just traced that theme all throughout. And then we just finished talking in chapter 2 where really the whole theme is that life is not for us or about us. It's for others and about others. And Christ changes us so that we can go and seek the interests of others and care about other people. And now Paul hits kind of a different turn here in chapter three. Um, we're going to look at verses three. I mean, chapter three, verses one through eleven. Paul says this. He says, "Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh." Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, that that whenever your word is open, you are speaking. God, I just ask that as as there are a lot of things going on in our lives, as as the quarter is in a very interesting spot, as as it's it's a holiday, Lord, as, as there's a lot of things going on in our lives, Lord, help us block it all out and listen to what it is you have for us tonight, Lord. Help us not miss it. Help us not miss it. Speak to us tonight, Lord, speak through me, and ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. And so, one of the things that we've really been looking at at throughout is really just this gospel-worthy life, this gospel-worthy life. And it's interesting, once we get to chapter 3, what we're going to see is that Paul actually stops to go back, and he's going to give us content about the gospel. He's going to talk specifically about the gospel. And, and as you see, we're going to walk through a few verses before we really get to the main idea of what Paul's trying to say. But notice he starts this in verse 1 by saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Many people joke that, that Paul had to have been a preacher since he said, finally, and then he goes on for two more chapters, right? In conclusion, and you go on for two more chapters. Well, what he's saying here isn't really like, finally. What he's saying here is he's saying, so then, He's saying, in light of the fact that you need to live a gospel-worthy life, here's something you need to be reminded. He says, I'm going to remind you of something. This is no trouble for me. And he says, it's safe for you, for me to remind you of this. Which is really interesting because what he's going to remind them of is the gospel. But not just the gospel. Paul is specifically going to talk to them about salvation. He's specifically going to talk to them about how do you receive salvation. Once again, notice verse 2. We've talked about this all throughout, that there are false teachers around the church of Philippi. Notice in verse 2 what it says. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It's a really nice thing for Paul to say about a group of people, right? He starts by saying, look out for the dogs. Now, for us, I know whenever we hear dogs, we think of like, like mine and Emily's dog. you seen it. It's like a little white puffball. It's cute and cuddly and whatnot. Like, like This is not how dogs were viewed in the first century. In the first century, dogs were scavengers. They were unclean. They ate things that were dead. They ate garbage. They were just unclean animals. So to call somebody a dog, especially somebody who might be Jewish a dog, would be an ultimate insult. You're calling them unclean in all kinds of ways. He calls these people dogs. He calls them evildoers, which is pretty self-explanatory. And then he says that there are people who mutilate the flesh. And it's in this description that we find out who Paul is talking about. So the church of Philippi, once again, they were struggling with people who had false teachings, who were not teaching correct doctrine, not teaching correct theology, and trying to really, really honestly add things to the gospel that they'd heard from Paul. And where Paul says, mutilate the flesh. He's talking about a specific type of people called the Judaizers. And what these people were, were Jewish Christians, if you could call them Christian. But basically what they were doing is they were telling people that were not Jewish. They were saying, hey, first, in order to come to Christ, you have to become Jewish, Therefore, if you're a guy, you have to be circumcised, you have to come this way, you have to be a Jew first, you have to obey the Old Testament law, then you can become a Christian. In other words, to get to Christ, you have to come through us first, we're the people of God. And Paul specifically says, watch out for them, look out for them. And then whenever he says that they're the people who mutilate the flesh, basically he's saying they do a practice on their own body like pagans do. And so Paul is is honestly coming very strong at these guys and saying, look out for these people. Look out for them. And look at what he says why. Notice next he says in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. you Paul is a guy who uses so much irony. If you, you, Some of the books that you read about him, he's just sarcastic. It's just that simple. He goes, hey, go tell the people who say you have to be circumcised in order to become a follower of Jesus, tell them, hey, we are the circumcision. Like these people would go, wait, what does that even mean? What are you talking about? That's kind of weird. But you see, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, it talks about this. Verse 26 and 27, where, where God tells the people through, through the prophet Ezekiel that, you know, I'm, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to take your heart of stone and remove it and put a heart of flesh. One day I'm going to take this old covenant and give you a new covenant. I'm going to give you a new way to know me. And what Paul is saying whenever he says, we are the circumcision, circumcision was the mark of the people of God. It was one of the marks of somebody who was the covenant people of God. And so what Paul is trying to say is tell them, we are the covenant people of God. We don't have to go through the Jews. We are the covenant people of God. We are the redeemed. We are the reborn. Romans 2, 28 through 29, it says that, that no one is a Jew just merely outwardly, but a Jew is someone who has a circumcised heart. In other words, it's been you, it means that you've been reborn. It means that, that, that internally you are different. You are changed for Christ. And Paul says, we are the circumcision. And notice how he follows this up. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, this is how you know. One, we worship by the Spirit. The only way to get the Spirit is through Christ. And if we have the Spirit in us, therefore we know we're followers of Jesus. He says, first of all, we know we're followers of him because we have the Spirit. Secondly, we boast in Jesus. We don't boast in these outward practices. We don't boast in being Jewish first and, this, and then Christian. We boast in Christ alone. We boast in what he did alone. And then he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. And this is where Paul decides to camp out. And this is where you get the main theme that he's about to talk about over the next several verses. He says, we put no confidence in our flesh zero, none. It's no benefit. And then he really hashes this theme out. So what is Paul talking about whenever he says we put no confidence in the flesh? Basically, Paul is going to argue something about salvation. He's going to argue three things. It's interesting that this is what this is on because it's really heavily based in a lot of what Paul said, but it, even in the Reformation. And we're going to find something about salvation tonight, and it's this. First thing that Paul wants to say is salvation is by grace alone. It's by grace alone. He says we put no confidence in the in the flesh. The first thing he wants them to see is it's by grace alone. Look at what Paul says starting in verse 4. I love this. In Pauline fashion, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. You think, man, that's kind of arrogant, right? Paul's like, don't put any confidence in the flesh, but if you do, I'm a baller at it. Like, that's basically what he's saying. Like, I'm the best. And then he like, even and he's up. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, tell the people that are saying, look at everything we've done. Look at our Jewishness. Look at all this. And then also say, hey, Paul is better than that. And he says to put no confidence in the flesh. Notice what Paul turns to. Notice what he points to. Start with verse 5. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. Y'all, if you were to talk to me, and I were to try to explain to you how difficult it is to be famous. If I were to say, y'all, it's just really tough being famous. It's really difficult. And and we were to talk about this, and I was like, look, you just really don't know. Being famous isn't all it's cracked up to be. Most of you would say to me, what are you talking about? You're not famous? Like, why are you acting like that's you? Two, uh, two leadership retreats ago, we actually had a game where Jacob made people put, like, cards on their head, and you had different people or things. You had to ask yes or no questions to guess who they were. And we had a guy who actually had my name that Jacob did, thought it would be funny. And one of the questions he asked to another girl is, am I famous? And she started laughing and said no, and he goes, oh, I'm Merrick. I was like, wow, that's hurtful on so many levels. But, but anyway, I, I can't say that because I'm not famous, right? I can't say it's so difficult to be famous because I'm not that. You see, if Paul were to say you can't put any confidence in the flesh... And people were to say, yeah, you have no reason to have confidence in the flesh. It'd be one thing. But Paul says, don't put any confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to say, I have more reason to have confidence in myself than anybody out there. And then he goes on to give us this list, which we can read and be like, okay, whatever a Hebrew of Hebrews means. You're talking about your circumcision. That's weird. You're an Israelite. Okay, great. But what Paul is saying here has a lot lot to do with even where we're at today. I want to read verse 7, and then we'll jump back. So verse 7 says this. Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, or for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul's going to say, Everything I have to brag about is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. And what you'll see is he's even saying, These things that I could have bragged about are a hindrance To me actually knowing Jesus. And y'all the parallels for the southern Christian are striking. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through whenever Paul says you want to boast, let's boast. You want to boast, let's do it. I want to walk through the different things he says. The first thing he says is he boasts in his religious observance and his rituals. His religious observance and his rituals. The first thing he says is I was circumcised on the eighth day. Once again to us that might not mean anything. But for him, that means from the very moment of birth, I have been a part of the Jewish nation. From the very moment of birth, I was born into this. I wasn't somebody else. I was born into this. On the eighth day, my parents were about this. You want to equate that to us? Many people will say, "Yeah, I'm confident that I'm saved because I was sprinkled whenever I was a kid. I'm confident I was saved because my parents dedicated me. I have the certificate. I'm confident that I was saved because I was baptized at five, six, seven, eight. I was baptized at this young age. That's how I know I'm saved." And Paul's saying, "No, don't put any confidence in that." The second thing he turns to is nationality. First, it's rituals; then it's nationality. He says he's of the people of Israel. Essentially, I'm a Jew by birth. I did not have to be grafted in. I've always been a Jew. For us, we might say, I'm from America. I'm from the Bible Belt. This is one nation under God. I've actually had people say that I'm from America, therefore I'm a Christian. That's not how it works. Put no confidence in your nationality. The third thing that he argues from is, is a faithful heritage or his family, which is very striking for us as well. He says he's of the tribe of Benjamin. This is really important because Benjamin was one of two of the uh, of, of the uh, provinces of Israel who did not leave the Davidic kingdom. He was one of the two of the twelve tribes that did not forsake the Davidic kingdom. Not only that, but but Benjamin uh, was also the, sorry, Benjamin was also the tribe that included Jerusalem. So it was significant in that regard. An extra fun fact that I learned this week is that Benjamin is the only son of Abraham that was actually born. In the promised land, Benjamin is who Saul was a part of whenever he was the first king of Israel. So while Paul's saying, I'm not just a part of Israel, but I'm from the most prestigious tribe in Israel, me and Judah, the prestigious tribes. I'm not just from any tribe, I'm from a faithful heritage. I come from a faithful family. For us, we might say, Man, I have confidence I'm a follower of Jesus because my parents are great Christians. I have confidence because my dad's a pastor. I have confidence because my family—I uh, have somebody that's a deacon in my family, or or all of us are believers. All of us are Christians. And what Paul is saying is, your family ties don't make you a Christian. They don't put no confidence in that. The fourth thing he turns to is culturally. He says, "I was a Hebrew of Hebrews." That means linguistically, I speak Hebrew. I know the language of the people. Matter of fact, I was raised as a Hebrew. I know the culture. I know how to walk the walk. I know how to talk the talk. I know how to do this whole thing. I don't have to act like a Hebrew because I've always been a Hebrew. For us, we might say, I'm from the Bible Belt. I went to the Christian school. I grew up going to VBS. I know all 50 lines of Pharaoh, Pharaoh. I know I'm a C. I'm a CH. I'm a CHR. I know all those lines. I know all these different things. I know all the songs. I know all the things. I pray before meals. I pray before I go to bed. I read a little devotional. I have a Bible verse on my Instagram bio. This is where I'm from. Culturally, I'm from here. I'm a Christian. I put confidence in this. And what Paul's saying is put no confidence in that. You may say, I know the terms. I know justification, sanctification, born again, saved. You don't have to explain those to me. Just because you were born in that doesn't mean you can have any confidence that you're a follower of Jesus. Paul is saying, I had all this, and this is lost. This isn't gained for me. This is lost. This actually was a hindrance to me coming to know Jesus. Now, he moves from things that were just intrinsic, completely involuntary, now to things that he can say, I have done this. And the first thing he says is he goes, I wasn't just religious. I was super religious. Essentially, I was super religious. I didn't have a better word, so I used super. I was super religious. What he says is he says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were the most impressive and respected group of people in Israel, bar none. The most respected, the most knowledgeable. They were known to be strict, to be disciplined. They were known to be the, bar none, people to want to be like. The word Pharisee literally means separated one. He was a part of the separated ones. Not only that, but he was a leader of the Pharisees. In our day, that might be I was an RA or a GA leader. I was in Awanas. I did Bible drill. Nobody wanted to do that with me. I was a youth leader. I was a part of a D-Now leaders. In, in Paul's terms, I went to seminary and got a PhD and became a pastor. And Paul says, that didn't help me any in being convinced that I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't put my confidence in those things, even though I was super religious. Next, he points to the fact that he was super passionate. He wasn't just religious But he was passionate in that. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. You see, Paul wasn't just one of these people that was really religious. He said, you know what? I believe in my religion so much that I'm going to live this out. I'm going to be obedient to it as much as I possibly can. He believed it so much that if people disagreed with him or tried to compromise the beliefs of Judaism, he persecuted them. He put them in prison or he killed them. This is how zealous he was for his own beliefs. And y'all, you know, for us, you might look at this and say, I'm super passionate. I've always been passionate. I read God's word. I've prayed. I go to church. I go on mission trips. I have these feelings I know. I'm passionate. I'm moralistic. I don't drink, smoke, or chew or date the girls that do. Whatever you want to say it as. And that's not the bar for whether or not you can be confident that you're a follower of Jesus. Look at what Paul says right after Romans 9, where specifically he's talking to the Israelite people And he's saying something to the Israelites. He knows the Israelites are missing it. Look at Romans 10, how he starts Romans 10, verse 1 and 2. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. But listen clearly to what he says. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge. Not according to knowledge. He says these Israelites, man, they're passionate about serving God. They're passionate for these things, but they're... They're not passionate about the right thing. They've got it all wrong. And Paul would say, that was me. I had it all wrong. Just because you're passionate or just because you've had feelings before at a worship service doesn't mean you say, I have confidence in my relationship with Jesus. And the final thing that he says is, I was super righteous on top of it all. Super righteous. He says, as to righteousness, I was blameless. Y'all, the Pharisees had 613 commandments that they put on people. 613 commandments. And he says, according to those commandments, I was blameless. He wasn't someone who was faking it. But you hear what he says, he deceived himself into thinking he was something he was not. Because whenever they talked about confidence in his relationship with God, he pointed to all the things on his resume, all the things that he'd done, all the things that were in in his life if you were if you were a kid in, in in during this time and Paul before he became a Christian you would have said that's the type of person you want to be like he was a poster boy for Judaism and y'all my guess is a lot of the places where we're from I know I had this where people would tell me how good of a kid I was or how great of a kid I was and you know what after I heard that so much I actually started to believe it and my confidence and my salvation was about me because I was a good kid Because I did all these things right. And what Paul's saying is, I missed it. I completely missed it. Once again, Paul is not one of these people who's saying, I have a little bit to boast about. He's saying, I have the most. I love the show Undercover Boss. I haven't watched it a whole lot recently, but one of my favorite things, I remember one episode where this guy... He, he comes in, and if you don't know about the show, it's somebody who's a CEO of a company, essentially, and they go into their brand or their market or, or, or whatever it might be, and they start working, and they try and impersonate someone else. Well, then later on, the people that they work alongside, they get interviewed later on. They, they're told that they're going to you know, see if this person's worthy for the job or whatnot. Well, they're interviewing this one guy who talked to the CEO, not knowing he was the CEO, about how his job was. And the guy's like, this guy walked in, and he acted like he knew everything. He walked in, he acted like he knew how everything was going, he, he just was like really arrogant whenever he came in. He acted like he owned the place. About 10 minutes after that, it shows the clip where he meets the guy and he goes, hey, I'm the CEO of this company, I own the place. And at that point, you see the guy, he's like, oh, okay. So you are arrogant for a reason, you literally do own the place. you after Paul would have said this, this was a mic drop moment. Everybody who was there, if they had any reason to not believe that he had more reason to boast than anybody else, whenever he finished this their jaw would have dropped, and they'd have gone, man. Like, that's everything I want to be, and Paul's saying no. I count it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, for the sake of knowing Christ. By all indications, Paul was the type of person anyone should hope to have become, but he wasn't a follower of Jesus. And don't miss this. He believed he was part of the family of God, but he believed in a lie rather than the truth. He is saying, I used to be like the dogs. I used to be like the evildoers, the mutilators, but I no longer am. And the truth is, is you may be passionate. You may have a great resume, but that doesn't mean you can have confidence that you're a follower of Jesus. Even more so, it could be a hindrance to you recognizing your true condition as the fact that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And your confidence is merely in yourself and not in him. Look at verse 7 again. Verse 7, let's read 7 and 8. As Paul continues this, it's by grace alone. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. My guess is there's probably somebody in here that's an accounting major. And if you're doing accounting, you have credits and you have debits. You're thinking, dear Lord, don't go into this. I'm not going to go far. I know. You have credits and you have debits. Credits are the good things. Debits are the not so good things. They're the no bueno. But you need these two things to even out, right? If they're not evening out, there's a problem. What's interesting, Paul uses accountant-like language here. In the Greek, he's literally saying, on my credit side, I've got all of this that I just told you about. But I'm taking all of this from the credit side And putting it over on the debit side. I'm moving it from my gains to loss. What's even neater here is is the word gain that he uses. Whatever I gained, I counted as loss. The word gain here is plural. The word loss here is singular. In other words, he's saying all of it. All of it means nothing. All of it goes straight to the it doesn't matter pile. All of it goes to the I have no confidence in these things. And the only thing that's put in its place is Jesus. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is everything minus Jesus equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. My confidence is in Christ alone. We can't gain Christ alongside other modes of salvation. He is the only means of salvation. In Christian circles, sometimes you hear this that God is just. God is just. And I think we use this for a lot of reasons, but, but, but one verse that's particularly used a lot in Christian circles, once again, is 1 John 1, 1.9, where, you know, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, saying that He's faithful to forgive us makes sense. He's faithful. But what does it mean that God is just to forgive us of our sins? I want you to think of it like this. One day, all of us Hebrews 4.13 says, All of us one day will stand naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we're going to have to give an account to. We're going to have to stand one day before God and give an account for how we've lived. And whenever you get there, if if God were to say, Why should I let you in? If we were to think of all the stuff we could have confidence in, if you were to say, because I I grew up in the church, because I was baptized as a kid, because I did all these things, because I I went to all the awakens, because I wasn't all the small groups, because I went on these mission trips, if you were to throw out all of these things, you know what God would say? He'd say, It's not enough. It's not enough. But God being just is this is it means that Jesus is going to be standing beside you and He's gonna say, He gets in because He's with me. That's all He needs. Because he's with me. Not because of anything that he's done. God is just meaning he's just to forgive us because when we come to him and repent, he paid the price for it already. God is just because in Jesus he paid the full penalty of all of our sin. And he's just to forgive us because of what Christ has done. And this is why Paul says, Jesus Christ, my Lord. His confidence is in Christ as his personal Savior and his personal Lord not in anything else that he's done. All of Paul's confidence used to be based on others. It used to be based on comparison with other people. It used to be, I want to be blameless and spotless amongst my peers, but one day he recognized that that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, are you blameless and spotless before God, the one who will judge one day? And he says, the only way to be blameless and spotless is through faith in the Son. And through Jesus Christ, through his grace. The last thing I'll say about this is notice in verse 7 and 8, he has a transition from a present tense to a past tense. I mean, I'm sorry, from a past tense to a present tense. He says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, past tense, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now notice he moves to present tense in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whenever Paul wrote the book of Philippians, it was around 30 years after he became a follower of Jesus. 30 years later, and you know what he's saying? Everything I've accumulated, all the churches I've started, all the movement I've helped make, it's still in the lost category because the only gain I have is Jesus. My confidence isn't in all of these other things. And y'all, what I love about this and that I think we really need to take away from this is we talk a lot about a testimony in Christian circles If you ask somebody to share their testimony, often they'll talk about how they get up to accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's kind of the it. That's that's the end. What you see Paul saying here is that's not the end. That's the beginning of the testimony. Now it's talking about what Christ is continuing to do in your life. How you're continuing to seek to know him as your Lord and Savior. 30 years later, Paul hasn't gotten over his salvation. And the question for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you? How have you gotten over it? Is it no longer anything special? Are you no longer counting all that is lost? Are you no longer looking to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation? If I were to ask you, what has Jesus done in your life? Will you only tell me past tense things and not present tense things of what God is doing in and through you? Salvation through grace alone is the thing that saves us, but grace is also what sustains us in the Christian faith. That was a long first point, but luckily the last two are shorter. First thing is, Paul argues that salvation is by grace alone. Secondly, he argues that salvation is through faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. He ends by saying, in order that I may gain Christ, and then in verse 9 he says, and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, what I used to have was this righteousness of being blameless amongst my peers according to the law. Not having that righteousness. He says, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He literally says righteousness through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that we get through faith, and the righteousness that depends on faith. It's through grace alone. It's through what Christ did alone. And the way that you accept this offer is through faith in Jesus. That's the only means of righteousness. It's not by what you've done, but it's through faith in what, what Jesus Christ has already done. Y'all, this word faith has this, has this connotation of leaning on something, and, and it really gets a lot of its term and its meaning from the Old Testament. If you were to go back into Leviticus chapter 1, I'll show you real quick. Leviticus 1 verses 3 and 4 says this, is talking about uh, the levitical priests and the way they're supposed to offer sacrifices in order to atone for sins. It says this, if if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So to make this clear, what he's saying is that whenever someone sins, there's a blood that has to be paid. So bring a spotless lamb before me and kill the spotless lamb in their place. But look at what he says to do. Verse 4 it says, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. It says, he shall lay his hand on the head of the animal. So basically what's happening is, is you, you bring your spotless lamb, you set them up, and the priest is there to intercede for you to, to God. And what you're called to do is put your hand on top of the lamb, and as the lamb is killed, essentially your sin is translated to The animal, and the animal dies in your place and your sin is atoned for. But there's something about this. This word lay here, you lay your hand, it means to rest on something. Literally, it means to exert pressure on something. So this wouldn't have been a mere putting my hand on top of a lamb. This would have been me resting in and exerting pressure on top and literally pressing in to this animal. So once it is killed in my place, I am resting in what just happened. I'm resting in the finished work. I'm resting in the fact that God said he would forgive me for sin if I do this. And, y'all, faith in Jesus Christ is that. It's resting in the finished work of Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ is saying, I know I'm not perfect, but I know I'm saved because I have faith in Jesus. Resting in Jesus Christ is saying, there's nothing that can separate me from him because I'm resting in the finished work of Jesus. This is a crucial part of knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Lord. As, as Paul said, to know Jesus Christ as my Lord. Knowledge isn't just knowledge in your head. It also has to have faith behind it. This idea of faith is it's not just knowing it up here, but it's placing your trust in it, of believing in it, of genuinely accepting it as truth and living in light of that. Salvation is th- through grace alone. It's by grace alone, and it's through faith And the third thing that Paul argues is this, is salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 again. This is where Paul's main meat of this whole chapter is. And I want you to listen to how many times he talks about Christ. And, And for that sake, I'm going to say anytime he uses a pronoun for Christ, I'm going to say Christ's name. And I want you to hear what's the theme of this passage Who's he talking about more than anything else? Starting in verse 7. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Christ and the power of Christ's resurrection and may share Christ's sufferings, becoming like Christ in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. In five verses, Paul says Christ ten times. Christ, 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 Christ. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, in one man alone, and that is Jesus Christ. And what you see Paul essentially saying here is he makes it clear, circumcision, all this extra stuff, all this religious practice, it's not about that. It's about Christ. We do not save ourselves. We do not contribute to our salvation. It's about Christ. It's about living as Christ lived. That's why you see what he says here. He goes from talking about Christ to saying, I want to live like Christ. Christ, Which is a theme he's been talking about the whole time in verse 10. He says that I may know Christ and the power of Christ's resurrection and may share Christ's sufferings, becoming like Christ in his death. Essentially, he's saying this, is I want to know Christ. That means I live for him. And as I live for him, first thing he says is I want to share in his power, the power of the resurrection. That means dying to self and living new in Christ. He says I want to share in his sufferings. That's what Jesus says whenever he says to take up your cross daily. It's saying, whatever may come, Jesus, I'm with you. I want to share in that whatever it means. And he says, becoming like him even in his death. That means I'll follow you wherever, whenever, however, whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm with you. He says that I may know him. Y'all, I'm concluding this. Paul, 2,000 years ago, there were people trying to thwart and distort the gospel. There were people who were trying to add to it. And Paul saw it necessary. He said, I want to remind you of something I've already told you because this is a safeguard for you. Y'all, it's interesting today, October 31st, is actually also a celebration for many of us because of the Reformation. And what happened in the Reformation can be talked about all kinds of different ways, but five main things happened in the Reformation. First and foremost, the, the Reformers fought for the fact that by Scripture alone is our authority, We don't stand up to anything else but this. If it's not in here, it's not the main authority, only by Scripture alone. Secondly, solely deo gloria, which many of you have heard, it's it's about God's glory alone. But the three main things that we get throughout the Reformation all are about faith. They're all about salvation. And they're these three things. That it's by grace alone. It is through faith alone. And it is in Christ alone. These men had to fight then. And y'all, what I want to tell you is 2,000 years ago, Paul did it. 500 years ago, the Reformers did it. And now, do we have false teachers? So who's going to fight? Who's going to fight for this? How many of you know that that in our culture, there are additives alongside salvation? I know I'm saved because whenever I was eight, okay? Your confidence is in that? If your confidence is in that, it's ill-founded, I know I'm saved because of this or that or the other. If it's not because of the grace of Jesus Christ, it's ill-founded. If it's not because I have faith in Jesus Christ, it's ill-founded. If it's not because you can say I'm living for Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me, it's ill-founded. And y'all, this is a safeguard for us. This is what salvation is. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. This is what it is, and this is what it's about. And we're called to promulgate this message. We're called to tell people about this message. Paul takes a break and says, I want to talk to you about salvation. This is what it's about. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you just for a chance to get together, to open up your word, to look at what you were telling the church of Philippi through Paul and what you are telling us now. And God, once again, I know it's a rough part of the quarter. I know that, that, that we have a, have a holiday, and, and, and I know that there's all kinds of things probably going on in our minds, Lord, but help us stop for a minute and reflect God, if we hear your word and we don't respond, we are the people who are listening but not doing anything. If we don't respond to anything that we've heard tonight, God, it is not to our gain, Lord. It's for our loss that we were even here. God, help us respond to you. Help us respond to your message. Help us respond to your word, God. Help us see our responsibility to live for you and to protect the true, authentic gospel of salvation that you gave through the apostles and that you gave to us now. Father, help us, help us respond. Speak to us now and ask all these things in your precious and holy son's name, amen. Y'all, as we close, I just wanna ask you to respond by asking several questions. One I wanna ask you this is, where's your confidence? Where's your confidence? Is it in what you have done or is it in what Jesus has done? You know, maybe tonight you, Maybe you're like Paul. Maybe you're like me, like I was. Maybe you're like several of the guys who got saved a couple weeks ago who, who were on leadership here who said, Look, I have the resume, or I've based my salvation on my upbringing, or I've based my salvation on something from the past, or I've based my salvation on something else, or, or I've done all this because I was supposed to instead of because I really genuinely want to. Maybe tonight you, you realize that your confession isn't that of what Paul is saying right here. Maybe tonight you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe tonight you need to thank and really praise Jesus for what he's done for you, recognizing you don't contribute one bit. If you want to talk to me, I'll be in the back. My wife Emily will be in the back. We'd love to talk to you. Maybe that's what you need to do tonight. Maybe maybe you need to answer this question. Are you living as one who truly trusts in the finished work of Christ? Or are you living with confidence in yourself? Y'all, many of us, you've been a Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for so long that finally you think you've kind of got this thing down. You think you've got the practice down. You think you know the Christian life pretty well. Y'all, take it from me. Five years from now, you're going to look back and say, man, I didn't know anything. The Apostle Paul, 30 years later, says, my primary goal in life is to know the surpassing worth of Jesus. Is that still yours? Is what Christ's done in your life, could you tell people about presently what God is doing in your life, or is it all past tense? Maybe tonight you just need a crowd for a fresh word from the Lord. Third, I would say, are you seeking Christ just as much, if not more, than when you first came to know him? If not, why? What needs to change? And lastly, I would ask, can you, like Paul, speak of how much you are satisfied in Christ, not the other stuff? Can you, like Paul, say that you genuinely want to experience his power, share in his sufferings, and become like him? In other words, can you, like Paul, genuinely say, my desire is to know Jesus and make him known? It's not to make me known. It's about him. You know, that doesn't start with a stage. That doesn't start with a platform. That starts with your every single day dying to yourself and living for Jesus. I just want to ask you, wherever you're at, respond tonight, maybe it's sitting there and and praying to the Lord and maybe repenting, maybe really asking the Lord about this maybe it's accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior maybe it's really just looking at how you are not amazed or or, or, or in awe of what Jesus has done for you anymore and you need to repent of that and ask for the Lord for a fresh look tonight, whatever it might be worship the Lord tonight don't just be a hearer how are you going to respond like I said I'll be in the back if you want to talk but respond as God calls you to